Don't be afraid, Monjigo is saying. Come here, stand beside me. It'll be okay. Before us, on the wide yellow step, are a bunch of horses crowded together, galloping furiously. Men on horses, wielding lassos, are riding behind them. Monjigo's little daughter, Sarah, who is four and fearless, yells, Dad! Gallop! And her father gallops into the fray, and after much chaos, with the help of his brothers and nephew, catches a black horse. <laughs> and that's how my first day in the Mongolian countryside begins, with Monjigo helping me. I've had Mongolia on my mind for such a long time that now that I'm here, the plan is simple. Stay a while and explore. Right now I'm in Eastern Mongolia, in the province of Hindi. I live near the village of Bain Atrak, says Monjigo. I'm a herder. She's in her 30s, light brown hair, broad open face, and a big smile. It's spring, so everything is yellow. But soon, in a few weeks, it will all turn green. And when it does become summer, she'll move. But for now, she's here. And here looks exactly like the first photos of Mongolia I ever saw in a geography textbook in India where I grew up. They show this vast expanse of yellow and here and there dots of white. And I so wanted to run away from the bustling city of Bombay and be there. Well, here. I'm staying in one of those white dots, which are round white felt-covered homes called gares. I'm sharing one with Monjigo and her family, her husband Jaga and her kids Sara and Bombole. I'm basically Monjigo's shadow. I go where she goes. She says every day is the same, but her routine is anything but routine, at least to me. A typical day sounds like this. That covers getting up early in the mornings, making the fire, making tea, herding cattle, milking cows, playing with the kids brushing cashmere from goats, and my favorite, singing to sheep. It's what you sing to a sheep to calm it, so it allows its lamb to nurse. Mm. 
Meanwhile, these are the sounds of my everyday on the step. Running, struggling to catch up to her. A quiet afternoon. Monjigo's cooking. Jaga's playing the Murren Her, the horsehair fiddle. Sara is wheeling a little doll in a blue pram round and round the gear. It took me a couple of days to understand what the doll was saying was, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. And even then, I didn't believe it. We've known each other since we were about four years old, says Jaga. Turns out Monjigo wasn't born to the life of a herder. She was actually born and raised in the village of Bayan Adruk, which is a few miles away. About 10 years ago, after she and Jaga got married, they moved out here to the countryside because that's where he's from. I knew how to milk cows, she says, but I didn't know how to herd. I didn't know how to ride horses. Now I know, but it was really difficult to learn. Jaga is grinning. My astrology is rabbit, he says, which is hardworking and friendly and nice. And Monjigo is a dragon, hard, fiery. But she's my dragon, he says. I love her. Okay, he says. I'm going to sing a song with my wife about love. The song is called The Universe of Love. From the moment we met, goes the song, we dreamt of a wonderful road ahead together. Something flower. Yeah, forever flower. How old is she? 50 years old. Half of 100, she said. <laughs> and she really she really trains horses for Nadan? Yeah. She said the horses are fast and she's a good uh, trainer. Ah, she was amazing. Her name is Mungtitik and she's just left Monjigo and Jaga's gear and we're all still reeling. She showed up suddenly, this fierce-looking woman in leather boots, leather pants, with her son and a bottle of vodka, which we all proceeded to help her finish. It's very rare to find women who train horses, but that's what she does. She trains fast horses for this big annual competition that happens every summer called Madam. When she's leaving, she says that she's actually a neighbor, she's not that far away, and I must come visit. 
I'm traveling with Tolman, who is Monjigo's nephew. He's lived part of his life in Mongolia and part in the States. When we get to her gear, we find Mungtsitsig outside with what else but a horse. This is the horse that she's training right now. The horse's name is Brown, but that looks like a white horse to me. So I don't know anything about horses, so I look at this horse and I see a white horse. What does she see when she looks at this horse? I see that this, the legs, the four legs are very strong, very muscular, and then the head is a pretty good shape and the length is pretty equal. And I think I never uh, led this horse in a longer, long race, but I had it race in a, a shorter race. And uh, runs pretty well on a short race, but I'm going to try it in a longer race this year. We go inside her gear. Everything that she uses every day is in plain sight. A saddle on the floor, a vat in the middle of the gear in which a sheep's head is boiling, two suitcases for clothes, an orange cabinet for pots and pans, and an open tin with tobacco and rolling paper. Uh, tell me about how you started training horses for I learned how to ride a horse and began competing at Nadam when I was five, she says. By 14, I was too heavy, and that's when I began training horses. One of the training techniques is to put a blanket over the horse and ride it till it sweats. And that's what it's called, taking sweat from a horse. We talk about my coming back and staying a while, so she can show me all her medals. I'm not sure that's going to be possible. But I do have hope that one day I'll see her and her horses again. Summer in UB, or as no one ever calls it, Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia. Mongolians know of modern life. We don't always ride on horses to school. We do not always live in gear. I live in a flat. Anika is 14, born and raised in UB. There's about a million and a half people living here, which is more than half of Mongolia's population. It's big, busy, crowded, has lots of old Soviet-style buildings, and lots of new buildings and cafes and restaurants. Really, a mixture of Mongolia's past as a Soviet satellite state, and its present and future as a democracy. Like very new cars and very fashionable, you know, we have iPods and even Mac computers. Pretty much anything I want to know about Mongolia, I go to Anika first. So here we have a kind of an idea. Oh, I should tell you this. You have to remember that... Who's the most popular Mongolian 
singer among your friends? Mongolian singers. We usually listen to European and American singers, but maybe Tatar. Ah, yeah. It's very famous, the Mongolian hip hop band. How does it go? Do you know any a little bit of it? How does it? <laughs> it's usually like Busti Harikundil, Busti Harikundil, blah 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 blah, Busti Harikundil, like that. Yeah, but I quite like this song. It means like uh, appreciate others' love. <laughs> Do you have an idea of a traditional Mongolian woman? You know what? I have this one book called Jangler. There's a description of a beautiful woman in there. Alter Jangri Hatnang Al Hiri Udzisland. Tom Hoyer Chich. Two big years. Uh huh. Tasna Sang Magnate. Forehead is whiter than snow. Yeah. And Tosnas Ozan Hatzerte. Redder than blood. Her cheeks are redder than blood. Wow. That makes it quite red. <laughs> big forehead, big ears, red yeah. cheeks. Human going beautiful woman, traditional. What does the Mongolian countryside look like, the Huddu? It's just so clean and the sky is so blue. Do you like going to the, to the countryside? Yeah, if I can. When I get the chance, I mean, nine months of studying, only three months of, you know, having free time, and it's quite complicated, kind of. How well can you ride a horse? I have allergy. <laughs> <laughs> if Chinggis Khan could hear her, imagine a Mongolian who's allergic to horses. We're at Friends Language School, where I've been studying Mongolian for months now. Hello, says Amaglung, one of my favorite teachers. Senbeno, how are you? All the teachers here, with the exception of one lone male, are women. And today, on this brisk fall afternoon, they're going to sing their own praises. A song about the beauty of Mongolian women. Amagalung catches my eye, smiles. When I first started here, I didn't speak any Mongolian and she doesn't speak a word of English. She taught me things through mime and movement. Every class became this kind of game. Once we were learning numbers and she said, in this room, for example, look, there's one window, two people, four eyes, four hands, three legs. I said, oh, you mean four legs? Oh, no, she said, I mean three. I lost my leg in a car accident about 12 years ago, she said. See, it's a prosthetic leg. So, three legs. And then she went on and laughed and I laughed and that's a muglan. What follows is a collection of moments from these classes. Kind of a best of a muglan. 
Her name Amaglan means peace. She's short, trim, always dressed with great care, with black hair and a bob and dark shining eyes. Well, I'm born a woman in this world, I thought. How should I live consciously, responsibly, before I die? The place I was born is beautiful. It has these big, rocky cliffs. And nearby, a big mountain with no trees on it, and a river. And I'm like all of these things. I know how to flow sometimes like water. Sometimes I have to be really tough like those big rocky cliffs. I am that nature that was all around me. My attitude is, I make happiness out of everything. A while ago, my prosthesis, it was really hurting my leg. So I spoke to it. I'm so sorry if I strained you. I'm so grateful for you. You allow me to walk. I gave it all my thanks, all my love, and, and later, it was better. Inside your soul, there's such power. I'd like to die with a beautiful soul. And I'd like to be reborn as any creature that brings more light and more love to the world around me. If I were an ant, I'd be a happy ant. If I were a flower, I'd be smiling. I'm sitting with Jenna in a dark corner of a dark room, waiting on a song. That may or may not come. We're in a small adobe house on a cold winter's night, way out in the countryside, in the westernmost part of Mongolia, by an olgi. Like Jenna and her family, the majority of the population here are ethnic Kazakhs. Jenna's 21. She just graduated from college. What I really want to do, she tells me, is teach music and song. But I can't find any work. So she's struggling a bit, wondering what's next, whether work or marriage or something else will find her. And I'm registering that this is my last trip to the Mongolian countryside. 
I've come almost to the end of my time in Mongolia. I say, just sing, anything. You have a beautiful voice. She's giggling because her brother and younger sister have entered the room. And then in comes her father and her brother-in-law. He's clapping, saying Rahmat, which is thank you and beautiful. So they all sit down in the same dark corner with her and begin to sing. I look at Jenna. She's smiling and laughing, but really everything in her is intent on the music and the song. Even though there's so much uncertainty in her life, she still believes that the future is a bright place, and she's just waiting for it to arrive. There were moments in Mongolia when I thought, well, here I am, a woman traveling alone in a strange new land, and it doesn't feel strange. So much resonated, especially the voices of other women. These women. They helped make far away feel like home. On the Move in Mongolia was produced and edited by Shibano Koilo for Out of Voices. The story consultant and executive producer is Stephanie Geyer-Stevens. Major underwriting by the Shelley and Donald Rubin Foundation and the Lucis and Eva Eastman Fund. Sounds for this program were collected on a U.S. student Fulbright Research Fellowship. Translations by Mungzol Dorbsuren, Oyu Chojums, and Delgril Jargal Ush. The theme music is Meeting the Beloved by Jan Sonorov. For additional music credits and more information about the program, please visit nomadicencounters.blogspot.com. For more information about Outer Voices, please visit outervoices.org.